Thank you. Wow. Team Z, you guys are awesome. All right, I have my hydro flask. I'm ready to be with campus ministry again. My name is Vivian Mabuni, and I have worked with college students for 28 of the 30 years that we have served, my husband and I, on staff with Crew, the ministry campus, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. A special welcome to parents that are here. Apparently, this was like the weekend that everything got smushed into, so happy homecoming and parents and papers, and I, I need you to know, I'm also uh, a student. I'm working on my master's degree in Bible exposition at Talbot Seminary uh, in the West Coast, and I had to upload a paper yesterday with Wi-Fi issues. Please, 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 please. So I feel your pain, and the fact that you're sitting here tonight, I'm just going to pray right now that God will honor your choices. And I am incredibly motivated to address college students because I think that you are the hope for the future. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And I'm also convinced that the relationships that you are forming now are ones for a lifetime. And my dear friend Lisa Miller, mother to Caleb and Joshua Miller, um, is here for the parent weekend. And we were in college Bible study together just a few years back. So the relationships are significant and these decisions that you make in your four some of you might go for five years, I don't know. Um, they can change the entire trajectory of your life. So when I think about a room full of potential like this, it gets me very, very excited. So I feel very honored to be here. I was booked a year and a half ago, and, just, and I thought it was last year that I was going to be here. And I was like, oh, I have to wait a whole year? So I just was at Grace Adventures speaking at a women's retreat there. I learned this, and we were here, and now we're here. And... People came from there and here, and there's this. And so I'm feeling like really, um, I'm like high five for Michigan. <laughs> so I'm, I'm happy to be here. A um, little bit about myself. This is um, my family. So uh, married 28 years to my husband, Darren, and our oldest son, Jonathan, is 26, just turned 26 on Wednesday. He is off our Verizon plan. <laughs> Launched. Um, he works at a small engineering firm in Pasadena in Southern California. He went to school in um, upstate New York, and he experienced winter and thought, never again. So I am freezing, by the way. My blood is, I grew, yeah, you'll hear more about that. But son Michael, uh, with the glasses, he is uh, just graduated from college last spring, and he's interning with InterVarsity. So he just reported and moved into his apartment in the heart of L.A., um, and he's going to be ministering at Cal State University Los Angeles. So that was really exciting. Then my daughter Julia is 17, and she just started community college this fall. She actually was supposed to be in her senior year, but suffered a concussion and ended up testing out of high school early and started community college. So life sometimes doesn't go as we plan. Um, that's our family. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Yes. That, uh, those flat irons are still my favorite mountains in the world. And um, I grew up in Boulder, and I grew up uh, culturally Buddhist, which meant that, um, you know, every so often during these certain holidays, my parents would cook these elaborate meals, Chinese meals, and then invite the spirits of my dead grandparents. So picture Mulan and Coco. All right, and um, so we would invite the spirits of these dead ancestors to come and we would bow and burn incense and kowtow, and that was cultural Buddhism. And it was cultural in that it didn't influence my life in any way come Monday and the rest of the week. And as I have been a Christian for several decades now, I realize there are a lot of cultural Christians as well. 
Christians that may just go through the motions and show up at church every now and then, but their life looks no different than anyone else's. So I was this cultural Buddhist in Boulder, and Boulder's a real granola place. Like, it's, uh, the saying is, Boulder, where the men shave and the women don't. <laughs> because of the cycling, anyway. So, Boulder, very weird, and I sat next to my girlfriend in high school, and she started glowing. And I was like, such a big change in her. And I was like, what happened to you? Did you become vegetarian? And she goes, no, I became a Christian. I'm like, Christian? What do you mean, you go to church or something? She goes, no, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm like, oh man, I'm so disappointed. Because Jean was smart and funny, and how could she be duped into this Jesus stuff? But her life was so different, and I watched her day after day, and I watched how she had this relationship with God that was intimate, and it, it mattered. God was answering her prayers, and it started me on a spiritual journey. So I had attended youth group a couple times because of cute boys, and then um, ended up with a, just a list of questions that I had. Um, if God is so good, why does he allow pain? What about the other religions? How can you believe that the Bible is the word of God when it was written so long ago and by all these different people? On and on I had these questions and my youth pastor took me out to lemonade on the mall and answered a lot of the questions and as I continued to research, I realized there is a, there's an intellectual basis for the Christian faith. It wasn't just blind faith. So with a different friend in Colorado, I sat at a church one of the few times I'd ever been to church, but the pastor said something about opening your heart's door and asking Christ to come into your life. And I realized that I, I believed in God, and I understood now for the first time that sin wasn't just doing bad things, because you know I hadn't been jailed for anything at that point, or since, or. <laughs> but sin is not just doing the wrong thing, it's also knowing the right thing to do and not doing it, which means all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I understood that, I understood that Jesus died for my sin. And so this pastor said, if you've never you know, placed your trust in him, I'm inviting you to do so. So I did. And then I was like a Christian now. So I went to the mall and I bought a Bible. I thought I was supposed to read the Bible. And I'm like, reading the Bible. And I'm like, a lot of measurements about a lot of temple things and kings with very long names and boring. <laughs> So, hmm, uh, Christians are supposed to pray. So I'm praying and I'm falling asleep and I'm thinking top 40 songs. And this is not working for me. And I was getting increasingly more frustrated now that I was a Christian because before I could just lower my standard and now I knew right from wrong and I could not live consistently right. So as a result, I thought, Another teenage phase, I was into this band, now I was into this perfume, and I liked those shoes, and then God, we're just moving on, moving on. So this is when my dad goes through midlife crisis. I don't know if any of your parents have done this, but my dad comes home with a, with a sports car, which was awesome, and then he comes home a little while later with a perm. <laughs> Truly. Uh, and then he comes home with the news right before my senior year of high school when I had planned to rule the school and do all the things. He comes home with the news that we were going to move right before my senior year in high school. And we weren't moving across town. We weren't even moving to another state in the United States of America. We were moving from Boulder, Colorado to Hong Kong. There's a Cantonese phrase called Yomogao which is like, what in the world? Okay, so. Um, <laughs> 
That was what I was feeling. And I grew up speaking Mandarin, but Cantonese, same characters, completely different pronunciation. So it was, I could not understand a word of what was being said. So I sat there on my bed in my little flat in Hong Kong and just had it out with God. I said, I am so mad at you right now, but in my heart of hearts, I want to know you. And I need a church. I need a youth group. I need some Christian friends. And if you do that, I'll give you my whole life. I will hold nothing back. Otherwise, I'm going to go out and get drunk and do something I'll probably regret, but never talking to you again. (laughs) And that's what an honest prayer looks like. (laughs) So I prayed this prayer, and wouldn't you know, God met me in Hong Kong, and all the securities were taken away, and he proved faithful. And I could spend hours sharing with you stories. And some of you would rather me just share the story so you don't have to study, right, Anna? (laughs) But I'll tell that another time. But God met me in Hong Kong, and I followed through on that part of what I had said. God, I will give you everything. I will hold nothing back. All that I know of myself and all that I know of you, everything is entirely yours. That switched everything. And when that decision was made, this book began to make sense to me. And as I read, God's spirit was unleashed in a way because now God was in control of my life. He was in the driver's seat. He was going to call the shots. I was living surrendered to him. And that is the secret of the Christian life. And so if there was just one thing that I could teach on, it would be the surrendered life and open hands and willing heart. So my um, most recent book that just came out is called Open Hands, Willing Heart. What a great name. It's a great recalibration, if you think about it. Are our hands open, which means that God can take and God can give? And are our hearts willing where we're saying, okay, Lord, I'll go if you want me to go, and I'll stay if you want me to stay. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll give what you want me to give. That's open hands, willing heart. And uh, real quick on just as an aside, I want to encourage you college students to um, let the Bible be your primary source of spiritual nourishment. Um, We are sitting in this gorgeous chapel, which I think of the generations of believers who have sat in your very seats. And we are a part of the link in an incredible chain of faithfulness and people who have loved God. Um, You are part of that. But what I have seen in my years of ministry is that increasingly, these generations are becoming increasingly more biblically illiterate. So this is why we need to be able to handle accurately the word of truth and let this be our primary source. There's great podcasts and books and sermons and all that stuff, but nothing replaces the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So let the Bible be your primary source. Don't read it like a fortune cookie where you're just pulling out one verse and putting it on a mug. Um, we need to understand the whole of it, the context of it. And there's something you know, great about scrolling and it just fits in your back pocket, but there's a whole other thing about being able to flip through the pages and figure out exactly where the books of the Bible fit together and the whole of the arc of it. So um, the book, uh, Open Hands, Willing Heart, is loosely based in the book of Esther. And in the whole 10 chapters, there's no mention of God. And yet he's at work incredibly all times throughout the entire book from beginning to end. So we're looking at willing hearts and what gets in the way. And I love teaching out of the Gospel of John. 
um, especially chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, because those are Jesus' final words to his closest disciples um, before he goes to the cross. And um, we're going to look really quickly at the first verse, which is 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. One of the things I love about being in a chapel like this with high, high ceilings um, is that there's incredible reverence for God. And we, we sometimes miss out on that. And to have stained glass windows and high vaulted ceilings, we realize that God is big and we are not. And when he asks us to open our hands and live with willing hearts, it's hard to trust someone we don't know. And that's where we need to continue to read the Bible with not what does it speak to me about my life, but what does this book teach us about who God is? So I want really quickly to look at three attributes of God. He is all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he is all-loving. Those are three characters, and if I had more time, I'd elaborate on all of them. But these qualities, these attributes of God are braided together. It's important that we realize that. So I'm wearing my new purple shoes. I love shoes. And let's just say I went hiking, you know, at the, you know, out there, and I slipped because it's raining, and I'm, I fell off a cliff, and I'm holding on, screaming, ah, help me, help me. Okay. So if my sweet little grandma, which I call Popua, you know, less than five feet tall, came up, and she would go, oh, Xiaobo, which in Chinese means little precious. Oh, Xiaobo. She loves me. She knows my situation, but she is not strong enough to rescue me, all right? Second scenario, ah, help. Woman-hating, sinister bad guy, okay? <laughs> he knows my situation. <laughs> He's strong enough, but um, I would be a fool to let go if I knew that he would rather see me plunge to my death, right? Same scenario, ah, help me. This time, it's my man. Darren Mabuni. He, when we were on staff, he's the strongest man I know, a modern day Jean Valjean. Um, when we were, yes, let me explain. When we were on staff at UCLA, he carried a refrigerator on his back up the stairs to the second floor apartment. Mm, yeah. So, so, Darren, he loves me. I drive him crazy, and he drives me crazy, and marriage is really hard, and you all need to know that. Just because two Christians fall in love and get married does not mean it's just like daffodils. It's hard work, all right? Marriage is hard work, but he loves me, and I love him, and um, he is, last I checked, I still weigh less than a refrigerator. So, he loves me, he's strong enough, but what if he's watching the Rams play? They might be playing right now. I don't know, he's probably watching them. He loves the Rams. Um, if he's not aware of what's going on, he cannot save me too. So God's character of being all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving is braided together. He's all of those things all of the time. And that's why we can trust him with opening our hands and living with willing hearts. We tend to start living very uh, lives um, that what gets in the way often is apathy, entitlement, self-reliance, busyness, bitterness. I wanted to share with you a story of uh, a dear friend of mine. I've had the opportunity to go to Rwanda um, a couple different times now. And this is my strong encouragement. God is not an American. He is not an American. And English is not the only language. And heaven is not gonna be a Hillsong concert, all right? <laughs> we do well 
to get out of our cultural context and mix things up to see that God is much bigger than our little worlds and our little bubbles. I know you guys are gonna have a spring break opportunity, go. Go to somewhere you've never gone before and interact with people you've never interacted with. And don't go with an attitude of, oh, we're gonna help those people. No, we come in together realizing that we gain as much as they will gain with us. It's a, it's a mutuality. That's what's so beautiful. So go and go to other countries, go to other communities. If your Instagram feed looks all the same, change that up. And our, our, um, our country right now is incredibly polarized. And I wanna encourage you, you are part of the answer. Um, if you will be willing to move towards people who are different than you and learn their stories, I think um, incredible things can come of that. And be about increasing your knowledge base. I just started a podcast for Asian American women called uh, Some Days Here. And it's about Asian American history and identity and culture. And it is meant for Asian American women, but my hope is that non-Asian women would be listening to the podcast to learn that did you know that there were Chinese people that fought in the Civil War? Did you know that Filipinos came to the United States in 1600? Did you know that the Chinese were excluded from being able to become citizens until as late as 1965? There is a lot of history that we don't know. Did you know the first open heart surgery was, was done by an, an African American and the stoplight was invented by an African American? Do we know our history in our country? I was born in Madison, Wisconsin. Another mitten? I don't know. But, Grew up in Boulder, but people still assume things about me, like, wow, your English is really good. And I'm like, um, I grew up in Colorado. So be about increasing your intake so you are learning of other cultures and other um, ethnic backgrounds. So, my, so I went to Rwanda, and that was so different than any Asian country I'd ever been to in the past, but I had the privilege of meeting this um, incredible cult, uh, couple, Charles and Florence. Florence, so a little bit of background on Rwanda, for those of you that know. In 1994, a horrific genocide took place in Rwanda. Um, between April and July, more than 800,000 men, women, and children um, died torturous deaths. They were, it was a massive genocide. Um, 500,000 women were raped and intentionally infected with HIV. 400,000 orphans were left. And there was such incredible brutality and death in what seemed irreparable. And I saw how God could take something so horrible and bring beauty out of that. So my friend Florence and Charles, both of their parents had fled to Uganda, neighboring Uganda, because even before that genocide, there was already a lot of political upheaval going on. So they were Rwandans who were born in Uganda, and they had a heart to go back to Rwanda. They met and they married at a Bible college, and uh, Florence remembers that they had their first son and there was no food in the refrigerator. And uh, an unexpected gift of 100 euros came to them. They were pastoring with no paycheck. And there was no, literally no food in the refrigerator. We always go, oh, there's nothing to eat. And we have lots of food to eat. There's nothing to wear. We have a lot to wear. This is for real. There's nothing in the refrigerator. 100 euros comes to their family. And Florence's, uh, uh, Charles had just found out that they could sponsor nine kids to stay in school. And it would cost about 100 euros. 
And so Charles asked, actually asked Florence, could we use that 100 euros for those children? And Florence wrestled, and she finally said yes. She opened her hands. And then, fast forward, they ended up studying in Multnomah in Oregon, stayed in, the, in, a, in a family's home in their basement as they got their degrees. And Florence would babysit, and she would um, babysit the, the family, that, the people that they were living with. And they, she was surprised because they paid her for babysitting. And so she saved up every dollar of, that, of her babysitting money. And her dream was that she would have a small two-bedroom home that they could buy in Rwanda one day to raise their family. So she saved and saved, and over time she had, she had saved $1,000, which was a lot of money, and she just, you know, she was believing God for the future and her children. So they went to Rwanda to start ministry because they were feeling increasingly burdened, and uh, when they got there, they saw all of the orphans, and they saw um, so many children that were not in school, and they were like, what can we do? So they decided they wanted to rent a small home to start a preschool. They needed um, money for a, in their bank account so that they could start receiving wire transfers from other countries. And then Charles looked over at, at Florence and said, um, could we use your money, the $1,000? And um, Florence, it really was her money. She had worked hard. She had folded the laundry. She had watched those kids. And she wrestled with the Lord. And finally she said, okay. And that became the seed money for what is now Africa New Life. And I sat there uh, listening to Florence share her story. And I sat in their dream center and I looked out and they have the largest seminary in Rwanda on their campus. 576 pastors that are being trained. They have a hospital. The only private hospital is their hospital. They have schools in several cities around the country of Rwanda. And those students that are in those cities are testing the top in all of the country of Rwanda year after year, so much so that the government's like, what are you guys doing and can you help us do whatever it is that you're doing? And they now sponsor over 10,000 children in the country of Rwanda. And this was Florence, open hands, willing heart. D.L. Moody says that no one can sum up all God is able to accomplish through one solitary life, wholly yielded, adjusted, and obedient to him. So living with open hands means that sometimes we don't get to see, we serve without seeing. And I wanted to share really briefly with you about a story of my sister. I'll have to skip all this other stuff for another time. Um, my sister, uh, she was the first person I shared with after I became a Christian. I came running into the house going, Claire, it's not a boyfriend I need, it's God. <laughs> and you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And she was younger than me, so she's like, okay. But she didn't understand that decision until we moved to Hong Kong, and then she got grounded in her faith. And after that, she, God put on her heart to pray for the country of Albania. And um, I have no sense of direction. So I'm using my hand the wrong way, and I'm like lost and everywhere. Uh, I have no sense of directions. I have no idea where Albania is. And my sister got a shower curtain of the world, and she took out Sharpie pens, and she was circling it and getting all these little graphics and details. And so I learned that Albania is in uh, Southeast Europe. And in 1967, the dictator of Albania declared Albania the, first, the world's first atheistic state, atheist state locked to the outside. And my sister started praying daily in the shower and out of the shower 
She prayed for doors to open for the gospel to enter this closed country. She prayed for remote villages to be, that were inaccessible to outsiders. She prayed for Albanian nationals to join staff with crew. She prayed that there'd be generations of multiplying disciples. She prayed that Albania would one day be a sending nation to the Muslim world. She prayed for a country that was locked to the outside world, and she prayed. And then in 1992, the communist regime fell, and for the first time, crew was able to send a team in for a summer mission, and my sister was able to sign up for the very first team that went into Albania for the summer. So she raised support, she got her passport, she got all the immunizations, she went with high expectations for the country. She had bathed in faith-filled prayer for years. She had the worst summer of her life. The government was in, unstable because of the economic crisis, and for the first time she went to bed hungry not knowing what she was going to eat the next day. The Albanian nationals picked on her, and she experienced a lot of um, just verbal attacks. She had insects swarming around her, illness. I mean, all these things that her, the rest of her team didn't have happening to her were happening to her. So the team started off in the capital city, and then halfway through they decided to split half the team going to the north where the beaches were and it was really beautiful and all the fun people. And then there's a team going to the south. And so she wanted to go north. She got put on a team going south. So uh, she went south. And there was a, an Albanian national named, named Alma who was serving as a translator for the team. And Alma traveled with Claire and half the team down south. And um, the mission ended with no, nothing to show for the effort, for the prayer for the expense of that summer. And my sister came back to the US and she went through a deep depression. She had parasites in her intestines. She was completely bewildered. Like, why God would you even do this? Seven years later, after my sister's miserable summer, Alma, the Albanian translator, was introduced at cruise staff training that we have every other summer in Fort Collins with 5,000 crew staff. And uh, Alma was introduced as the first Albanian staff. And when asked how she became a Christian in front of 5,000 staff, she said that Claire had led her to the Lord. And, she, and Claire had no idea. So they got together to catch up and Claire's like, what happened? When did, what, when, what, when? And so Alma goes, do you remember when we were sitting in the dorm and you asked me, Alma, are you perfect? And I realized that I wasn't perfect and for the first time everything fell into place and I understood finally all of the things I had been translating and that's when I decided to put my trust in Jesus. Alma began to explain that she had become a spiritual leader in Albania and had discipled over a hundred women. Albanian nationals had joined staff. Teams were showing the Jesus film in remote villages. Albania became a sending nation to the Muslim world beginning in Turkey and beyond. And God turned the first atheistic nation into a country where 96% of the population have had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And that's just the kindness of the Lord. And a lot of us serve without seeing. But I promise 
one day God's going to rip it open and we're going to see how all the relationships and all the prayer and all the giving and all of the faith steps and all of the, the conversations that happened at just the right time with just the right people made a difference for the kingdom of God. Michigan is known for its apples. And if I were to take an apple, and sometimes I actually bring a real apple, and I cut it in half, I could take this apple and I could pull out all of the seeds, and I could count how many seeds are inside this apple, but I have no idea how many apples are in the seed. And this seed is your life, men and women. And when Jesus says for us to lay down our lives, it can produce so much that we have no idea about. It is the posture of our heart, our will, our surrender to him, willing to die, that life begins. And so I wanna just pray for you as we close tonight. Father, I wanna thank you for these men and women and for the potential in this room to change the world. I pray, God, that you would um, encourage my brothers and sisters at just the right time to take the steps of faith so that they would not just know about you, but they would know you and they would see and experience and taste of your faithfulness. And so I pray for them. I pray your blessing over them. I pray that you would help them to go forth and right the wrongs in our broken world. And would you use their lives laid down for you to bring in a harvest that we can't even imagine. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.